Hey there, I'm Matt. I'm Jesse. And I'm Ivana. And we're a full-time RV family. A couple years ago, we sold everything and moved our family of three into an RV. And that's been one of the best decisions we've ever made. However, it did come with a very steep learning curve. So we're here to share our stories, tips, and tricks for living life on the road. We're going to be talking about the good, the bad, and the black tank. Ew, Daddy! This is Recreational Variables. Why, it's a happy road that I'm Traveling on, I just can't help myself. You got me singing out a happy song since your sun came shining. I know it won't be long until your happy road is taking me home. I'm doing a much better job this time. At what? Uh, the pantry. Oh, yeah. At least I, I, I think I am. Yeah. I've definitely got my workouts in. Yes, you have. Me, not so much, but soon. Well, that that's understandable, but... I have an excuse. You do. You but do. not for long. No, no, not for long. Um, the ointment's going to kick in. You'll get better. <laughs> yeah. But the thing I'm not doing good at is that your parents are in town uh-huh. as well. And although a majority of the people that are staying at the house with them eat well... Mm-hmm. They like their beverages. Adult beverages. Adult beverages. Yeah. And so that's that's been a little bit difficult. Yeah. Well, same here. I'm like I'm getting heartburn for the first time in a long time, and I think it's from that. Ugh. And me, even after twenty years of, of being associated with your family, um, I'm still trying to fit in. <laughs> yeah. And so that's that's why it's like, oh hey, you guys need peer, peer pressure. Yeah. Peer pressure from my elders is difficult. Hmm. That must be tough. All righty. Well, we're going to get started. Let's brush off that dust and yeah. get the wiggles out. Yeah. And yeah. let's. Did, uh, did you bring the wheel of topic? Um, I thought you did. No, I'm not. I'm I can't, just kidding. I, can't I brought lift. it. I yeah. know you can't. You yeah. can't lift anything. Yeah. yeah. I brought it. I All brought right. it. Go ahead and let's give it a little spin. All right. Oh, this is a good one. It is the top things we wish we'd known before we started RVing. I am so glad it's this one because the other piece of the pie on the wheel that we had today, I don't know if you saw it, kind of like do the Mystery Science Theater 3000 thing throughout the entire Lord of the Rings series. Oh. So that would have been a really long podcast and I'm really glad it landed on this piece of the pie. And we've never seen Lord of the Rings, so this would be interesting. Oh, that would be so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what's the topic again the top things we wish we'd known before we started rving wish we'd known wish we'd realized and you know there, there's there's a few of these things because after two years of rving it's kind of like oh yeah this comes up over and over again and not not that it's a deal breaker even if we would have known them but just been would yeah. have helped us be better prepared yeah and there might have been some slightly different choices that we made like things that we were told but we chose to ignore that happens and then you live and learn. So oh, wow. um, you want to kick off with the first one? Yeah. Go for it. Money. Money. Like I, I, I wish we kind of understood the financials of full-time RVing mm-hmm. um, a, a, a little bit better. We had an idea, mm-hmm. but there were a lot more upfront costs and just costs in general, even when staying at an RV park. It's mm-hmm. not just a, as simple as 
okay, here's my X amount of dollars for staying at the RV park, but yeah. there are added things to that. There's a difference between paying at paying for one night versus a week versus a month, and then even sometimes several months. And so it's not as easy as like, oh, hey, this is 50 bucks a night. Okay, well, if I stay a week, then that's $350. Right. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. In general, most parks, the weekly rate is going to be a bit of a discount from a nightly rate. It may be, you know, you save one night's worth of fees or whatever. Um, and then the monthly rate is usually way bigger discount than weekly or nightly. Um, so for us, that's one of our biggest ways that we've saved money is choosing to stay monthly. There's been times where we've looked at, okay, a week at this park is going to be $300 or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, or we could stay three more weeks, a whole month for another $300. So, yeah, so it's like, yeah. hmm, it, it, it can make it difficult. Also, a lot of parks, if you're staying monthly, um, you'll pay for electric on top of your monthly. So in, in they are giving you that big discount and it still is much cheaper, assuming you don't, you know, go crazy with your electric. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot, yeah, a lot of parks, if you're staying nightly or weekly, the electric's included in that fee, which is part of why it's a little more expensive or a lot more expensive. Um, but yeah, if you're staying monthly, most parks have you pay electric and some of them will require like a deposit ahead of time and they'll apply that toward your electric bill or something like that. Some parks you have to pay in full before you arrive. Some parks you really want to look at the deposit uh, policy and cancellation and refund policy because yes. we were burned by that. The <laughs> the park we stayed at it was like a, it was a little over six hundred dollars to stay for the month, and a few weeks before we were going to stay there, we decided we wanted to do something else, so we called to try to cancel, and they said that's fine. Um, but you lose $500 out of the deposit. And so we had to say, wait, 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 never mind. We, we won't, we didn't want to lose $500. So we had to not change our plans the way we wanted to. Um, so that, you know, that was one thing we, we definitely learned to look really carefully and get really clear about the deposits and refunds and things like that. And sometimes what they say in an email is different than what you would hear from someone in the office. So you might want to just clarify before you put your money out there for them. Yeah. A little helpful tip is I would call the park to make reservations and ask those questions with a human being as opposed to depending on the online yeah. um, reservation system and the yeah. little fine print that they have. You could email. That way you can get it in writing, but not all RV parks are on top of emails. And so you, you may, may be a while before you hear back. So... If time is of That's the true. essence, call. But if you email, then at least you have it in writing. Another thing, too, is that some parks will have these different back-end spots. You know, and, I, and I, I reference back-end spots because that is what a majority of parks have. But they'll, they'll do, um, oh, you can have a back-end deluxe. You can have a back-end premium. You can have a standard back-end. Well, what's the difference of all that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the price difference in those could be, you know, 20 bucks or, or something like that. But are those worth it? Well, it, it depends. Sometimes yeah. the back end spots um, might be a little bit bigger. They might be near um, some of the attractions or the amenities that, that right. the park has. Might have a better view. A, a better view. If you care about those things, um, great. 
if you don't care about those things, um, then maybe go for the cheaper spot, given yeah. your rig will fit in that spot. Yeah. Sometimes they do go by size. Yeah. And if you have a bigger rig, you may be forced into a deluxe or premium yes, type of spot. Yeah, we, we tend to go for the least expensive spot we can find, but that isn't always the least expensive that the park offers. It's just the least expensive that will fit our 40-foot mm -hmm. rig and yep. our truck. We're ready to move on to the next thing we wish we'd known. Um, we wish we'd been better prepared about with our knowledge of trucks and tow vehicles. In the beginning, I think we've talked about this before, we, we kind of... We were so excited and and ready to go that we just went by what people told us, which is basically, oh, yeah, yeah, that truck will pull it. You'll be fine. And it's got this these modifications on it. So it, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And what we ended up with was too little truck for how much rig we had, even though we bought them together in a package. And yes, the previous owners had towed all over the place like that. And we towed a few times. As we learned more about towing capacity and legal insurance type things, we decided we wanted to err on the side of caution because we did not want to be held liable um, in an accident, even if we weren't at fault. But if they said, well, you were towing uh, overweight for your truck, then boom, you're automatically at fault or at least partially at fault mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. of that, even if we weren't. So. We just, that's why we decided to get a bigger truck. And, you know, a lot of people say better to have more truck than you need. And so that was kind of advice. Like we kind of knew it, but we didn't really know it. And we, there were so many people that told us, oh, that truck is great. That truck's fine. It'll, it'll tow it. No problem. Part of the other issue too is uh, do your research on um, hitches as, as far yes. as, you know, the, the, the component that goes in back of your truck that tows a fifth wheel yeah. because there are weight ratings for that. Yes. And there are different kinds. We had no idea. Um, yeah. We, we were actually towing, you know, our, our, our V is 18,000 pounds max, right? Mm -hmm. um, when, when it's fully loaded, our hitch was only rated for 14, 14,000 pounds. Yeah. Um, the one, the hitch that came in the truck that we bought. In the truck that we so, bought, and we were also driving a um, a Ram twenty five hundred, yeah, which happened to be manual transmission too. Yeah. So that that was another like that, oopsie. I would highly recommend an automatic transmission truck. Yeah, unless you're <laughs> really comfortable with manuals. I mean, we also did. We had learned with that truck um, that backing into spots would have been easier if we would have put it into four wheel drive low. We never caught that information until long after we were done with that truck. So, you know, if you do have a manual, that's a, a good little tip for you. I'm assuming you don't know that, but maybe you do. Because otherwise with those manuals, they buck when you're trying to it's, back up. It's horrible. It's horrible. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, we, we felt like we were not, um, uh, I don't want to say street legal because we were, but we, we had too little truck for our rig. And so that's why we we yeah. did decide to, to go bigger. We moved up to a yeah. uh, F-350. Yeah, um, and a dually. And that, yeah. that gave us more stability as well. And each truck is individually. So you can't necessarily say that just because a truck is, an, is a one-ton dually that it can tow an infinite capacity. It also depends on the year of your truck, mm -hmm. the make. So, you, you know, that information's out there. You got to look it up. Um, the newer trucks coming out lately do have higher towing capacity so you know you may be able to get away with not having a dually um but you, you just you got to look it up it all depends what you're towing and um and yeah, yeah. 
But the that, dually gives us that more stability, which is nice. It, it does. And we, we did an episode on picking out your own, your, cho- choosing the right RV for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, some of that stuff was um, if you already have a truck, find a rig that will work with your truck. If you have a rig, inherited a rig or something like that, find a truck um, big enough. But there is that helpful app, too. That, that RV, you, yeah, RV tow check. So that is, we, we wish we were better prepared with our yeah. truck and, and tow vehicle. And what, what's the next thing we uh, wish we'd know? The next one we've run into because the year RV that we have is a 2011, which now is 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, RV parks, at least some of them, have a 10-year rule. And the 10-year rule is any RV that is 10 years or older either automatically is disqualified from staying at the park or you have to jump through some hoops with management to be accepted in order yeah. to stay there. Part of that process is you got to submit like this pictures pictures, and, you know, an email talking about the rig or something like that. They basically, they have this rule in place um, because they want to keep their RV parks looking at a certain level. If you've been taking good care of your RV and it looks decent on the outside, and we've seen definitely much older than 10-year-old RVs pulling into places, um, if it's well-maintained and taken care of, it is likely that ma- that management's going to say, yeah, it's okay. Um, and a lot of times th- this rule does not apply if you're staying nightly or weekly. It's mm-hmm. usually for monthly. You know, our, when our rig was 11, we got turned down from a park that we had been at the year before um but that park within that year they had changed management owners and so and when we contacted them they said no because we already have as many rvs over 10 years old that will allow in the park at one time so that that could be an issue too so that that did make it more difficult for us to find a place to stay this past winter in the area we wanted to be in if we would have known that we might have bought an RV a few years older to buy us a few more years mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. not having to deal with that. But And some things that, that RV parks will frown upon are um, maybe worn or torn um, decals on, on your rig. Yeah, um, if they look really bad. Like if, faded, if it looks really faded, bad. Faded's not usually an issue. Yeah, but, that, I mean, that's normal wear and tear. Yeah. But if your roof is like coming up in pieces, if, if you yeah. got, you know, if it looks like... Um, Duct tape. Yeah. Don't put duct tape on your rig. <laughs> it leaves a bad residue, so we've heard. Actually, yeah. we know, but we also, know from But like if they can but... see the duct tape yeah. holding something together, unless yeah. it's a repair, like usually unless it's a repair that you are f- you just incurred on your way in and you're going to actively be fixing it, yeah, no duct yeah, tape. Yeah. Um, but don't pull in with like a Frankenstein RV, um, you know, part bus, part VW van, part I mean, Prius. unless it looks really cool well, and, yeah. and, yeah, then they might, they might think that's cool, yeah. but... But yeah. again, not every park is like that. Only yeah, um, we've had some parks some. where they don't they don't care at all, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know we're always glad about that. And so, moving on from the ten year rule, we're jumping up to the fifty five year rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We wish we would have known that there is an abundance of fifty five plus parks and not as many family friendly parks. Um, that can make it difficult when you're traveling as a family. Now we have stayed at. 55 plus park before but we had to call just much like the 10-year rule we had to call and have them make an exception and they actually were this park was in um it was in winter haven california near the the california mexico arizona border and um, they were very stern in that they said we could only stay for one month they would make an exception for us so we said okay great because we needed to stay there that month 
the funny thing was after we'd been there for a few weeks and it was looking like we weren't going to be able to leave right away or it would be nice if we could stay at least a few more weeks, um, we went and asked management and because we had been good residents, our beautiful daughter had not raised any havoc or ruckus or anything. They 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 said, oh yeah, sure, you could stay a little while longer. They even forgot we had a kid. They forgot this. we had yeah, a kid because yeah. you know we're yeah. that we're that good. But I, I think <laughs> I think COVID really helped with families under at that time fifty five kind of getting into some of these parks. Yeah, um, because they knew that more families were traveling during COVID. But now and they weren't getting their money from the snowbirds during that time. But now they're kind of yeah. Now um, that that's pretty it. much done because um, we had a much harder time finding a park to stay in this winter in Arizona mm -hmm. than we did previously. Yeah. So, and I, I do want to make a side note about, you know, family friendly parks um, and the 55 thing. I, I do want to say there are a lot of family friendly parks. However, I will modify what, what you said and family friendly parks within our budget. Within and your budget and the location you want yes, to be in. Because yeah. for instance, if you're wanting to spend the winter in Florida or Arizona, and you are under 55, you are going to have a hard time, harder mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. finding a place to stay, especially if you're trying to book last minute. So those those family-friendly parks in, in places like Arizona and Florida, where a lot of people like to go for the winter, they sell out really fast. Like mm -hmm. if you can book a year in advance, do it. We already have our winter booked for Arizona next year. Um, we went ahead and booked it because it, it was the park we liked and the location we liked. And we knew we wanted to spend the whole winter there. And we got to pick our spot. We got to pick our spot. Um, but we booked a, a whole year mm -hmm. ahead. And there was a $250 deposit. But the only place to snowboard isn't Arizona and Florida. So maybe look around and find some other places that have mild winters. if, Or maybe you like the winter. In which case... You're going to have no problem at all finding a, a destination <laughs> in the winter that gets, you know, snow and stuff, which we've done that. And uh, it was different. But. It was fun. It was fun. You <laughs> yeah. can hear our podcast on that, on staying warm in winter. Yes. Yes. That's where we learned all those tips. So the next thing that we wish we had known is that solar for an RV is different than solar for a house. And we went into this with a very minimal knowledge of solar anyway. Right. My impression of solar was you throw panels up there. Yeah, you got to have a little bit of batteries. So, you know, batteries stay charged. But mm -hmm. other than that, your stuff will run if you have enough solar yeah. panels. Yeah, woohoo. You don't have to be plugged in. You can get power anywhere. False. Wrong. <laughs> um, we have a very beefy solar setup. You know, we boondocked for a full four months last year. We still ran out of power almost every night. Because basically, yeah. you know, it, it depends on how, the wattage of your solar panels, battery bank that you have, and what types of batteries, and how much the sun is actually out. Like, it takes a lot of sun. So on an overcast day, you know, for, fortunately for us, we have a generator too. So on overcast days, we were running the generator or, you know, choosing not to use the microwave or you know, something like that. But in the in the summer, if it was like kind of hot and muggy and not a lot of sun, we were having to run the generator to run an air conditioner because yeah, it just, yeah. if you don't have enough sun, you're, you know, you're done, son. So the, the <laughs> you're done, son. But really the, the difference between, you know, solar setup for RV and solar setup for a house is 
to my knowledge, and keep in mind, I'm, I'm not a pro at this, okay? This is just my experience, but with a house, electric company comes out or an independent company comes out, tries to sell you solar panels and whatnot, or mm-hmm. you can lease them, which whatever option you choose is your own business, right? I'm, I'm not into that. They throw panels up there. You don't have a battery bank. You mainly have an inverter to invert that solar power to run mm-hmm. components within your house. Hopefully, they provide you enough solar panels to run things off. If right. not, you're still tapping into electric. So you are still paying an electric company monthly. Yeah. Your you're bill may on... not be as much. However, yeah. you're still on the grid. And I'm... I know here, like in, in Arizona, a lot of those companies, the any extra solar that you provide, you don't get that. The electric company gets that. So yeah, and they might give you thirty dollars off your bill or they something might. stupid like that, or yeah, but, de- depending how that works. But with an yeah. RV solar, you actually have to have your own battery bank. You have to have enough solar panels to be able to at least function a majority of the things in in your um, in your rig. Um, so we got computers, we got a microwave, you know, we we got our two ACs, we got the Ninja Foodie, uh, Ninja Foodie, and so we we got a lot of things. But our our batteries cost us a thousand dollars a piece. Which is a great deal. We got a great deal because they're 200 amp hour batteries. They're SOK. Yeah, SOK batteries. Um, And we got our inverted 6,500 watt inverter um, that is fully automatic. So if uh, it's a hybrid, is what it's called. Yeah. So it seamlessly. Yeah. So we we could be running off, you know, there could be enough sunlight um, giving us enough power to run things in our RV just from the solar panels themselves. Right. And charge batteries at the same time. But when the sun goes down, it'll automatically switch over to battery power, which is really nice. And we don't lose any power in that process. We don't have to flip any switches. If we are plugged into park power, um, park electric, it'll automatically switch over to the park electric, too. Yeah. Whenever the batteries run out. And then so it's nice because everything we might see like a slight flicker in the lights when it switches, but everything stays um, if we're plugged in to power you know yeah so, so it's it's nice and it's we'll, a cool system yeah well we'll put a link up to it to what we got in yeah, case people yeah. are interested in if people want to checking that out ours was um you know we we put it together based off the advice of a, a friend who had done a lot of research on this stuff and he found some great deals for some pretty robust stuff mm-hmm. um but we were fortunate that you know he was willing to help us install it so we saved a lot of money on install yeah. um and everything like that but it's it's a beefy system but it's still we can't just run everything we want 24 7 because you know like today it's a it's a cloudy overcast day um we probably would not be able to run completely off solar today unless we were really careful about our our power consumption Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean our our system um we got eight solar panels that we bought from santan solar they were used so we saved a little bit of money that way used residential panels but they were Used They're but big. certified to still work. Yeah, yeah. They're about forty pounds a piece. So that definitely adds some weight to the top of our to the top of our rig. But our total setup was about seven thousand dollars, I believe. No, yeah, it was. It was something somewhere around that. Yeah, may, maybe between seven to nine thousand dollars, and then to have somebody come out and install, I got a quote was going to be another four thousand dollars. Yeah. Um. So we we saved four thousand by. Do Matt and our friend installing it together, which yeah. was a huge blessing. And you learned a lot about our solar setup that way. Yep. And um, there's been no fire so far. So we're, we're good. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's working. been like a year and a half now. So, and then, you know, that speaking of fires, not that anybody's had any fires. Don't worry. Jesse's looking at me like, dear God, what thing we wish we would have known, I guess, coming in, okay. um, is 
not to panic because everything is fixable. Mm-hmm. And I was panicky at first, like, oh, crap, yeah. what, what if this goes out? How do I do this? And the thing is you, you got to embrace it. And you got to learn, yeah. you, you got to understand you're going to learn new skills and yeah. these skills are going to carry you through. Um, even if you decide to go back in a house, skills you learn in an RV can also be applied to, yeah. to a house. And it is absolutely amazing if you do not panic and you just, you learn. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, yeah, everything is fixable. I mean, we had when our water heater burst and we had water all over the kitchen and, you know, wood rotting out under, under the stuff, you know, that was that was really tough, but everything is fixable. And probably 99% of what goes wrong in an RV, you'll find multiple YouTube videos that address that exact problem. Mm -hmm. And some of them, many of them will solve the problem in a different way. Um, But, you know, watch them and and just, yeah, just know that everything is fixable. Um, It's easy to panic. I think with an RV, it's similar to a house where in home ownership, stuff goes wrong, but it's usually like big stuff. In an RV, it's like a bunch of little stuff, but it feels big because your space is so small, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So and it happens much more often. And it happens more often yeah. because it's not built like a house. So, but you know, the, these are the things we wish we would have known. Would some of them have kept us from RVing? No, not at all. Would some of them have kept us from making some of the decisions we made as far as? what type of rig we bought and you know some some other things yes we probably would have been a little bit more cautious but ultimately we still would be living on the road yeah and especially the panic thing i think we probably would have had a little bit more enjoyment in certain situations if we just realized it's okay it's okay yeah and that you know we have we have um friends and family that are buying rvs right now and you know mm-hmm. like our lovely tasha that has been on here a few times and she's going through it right now the new new rv ownership um and that learning curve and and the things that are being thrown at her right now she's going through it and so it's really nice if you can surround yourself uh, with other people like get to know other rvers and reach out to them because we can we can almost all tell you the same thing which is it's it's gonna be okay mm-hmm. find positive RVers okay there there are some people who who yes everything is the end of the world and I've even had to um, mute or snooze certain people in RV groups because um, there's just always this sense of panic so so just be be mindful and wise about who in the RV community you're talking to. Make sure it's someone that's going to be positive, you know, realistic but positive, because that's really going to help you get through when everything seems to be breaking. And you have friends here with us at yeah. Recreational Variables. Yeah, and you can always email us. Better yet, subscribe. Subscribe and hear write, our yeah. positivity every <laughs> Friday. Subscribe, leave us some comments and, and put some questions in there. What's some things you wish you would have known? Or are you kind of going through it right now, kind of considering RVing? What's some things you want to know? Yeah. And if, if you've been RVing, like, what's the hardest thing that you've been through that you got through on the, and you're on the other side now? Positivity. I'm telling you. Yeah. Positivity. We need the positive messages. We need the success stories. Yes. Keep finding the joy in your travels. Happy journeys to you all. Like we said, new episode every Friday. Thanks for listening. Bye. Oh, yes, your happy road is taking me so.